just a few years ago, the world learned about hygge, a Danish and Norwegian word for acknowledging a certain moment as cozy, comfortable, charming, or special. The word is usually used in its original language. It's a concept, a mindset, a feeling that is deemed untranslatable. In order to recognize hygge, you have to live it. Danish happiness researcher Make Viking had to write an entire book to explain it. Which makes me think. In fiction, how do you write something that might be indescribable, that is just a feeling? Even more importantly, how do you transmit that feeling to your reader? During the pandemic, more people than ever spend time alone at home, craving to escape to other worlds, to experience a gripping, captivating ambience. Author's skill to create it is more in demand than ever before. This is Literature from Finland podcast. I'm Urte from Helsinki Literary Agency, and in this episode I will be asking Finland's queen of crime and spooky stories, Eva Franz, about the secrets of writing atmospheres that give you goosebumps. Eva, thank you so much for accepting our invitation, even though that due to COVID restrictions, we have to do this episode via a phone call. I'm really, really glad and eager to talk to you. Yes. Hello, Urte. Good to hear from you. (laughs) Very nice to have you here. Eva, you are a long-time journalist and radio host yourself, a blogger, and among other things, uh, been one of the commentators of the Eurovision Song Contest for years. Every (laughs) time, yeah, yeah, every time I (laughs) see or hear you speak, you always have this uh, cheerful, super energetic and sparky personality. How does a person like that plunge into the world of horrendous murders? What personally draws you to crime writing? Yeah, that's funny because you're not the first person to say this, that I am perceived as a very, very cheerful person somehow. Uh, and I don't quite agree. I think I can be very, I, I get angry very <laughs> easily. And uh, uh, while writing, I can be extremely Uh, moody and serious. My family can testify to this certainly. Uh, but I think I, I maybe I am a, a person with big emotions or something like that. Right. Uh, and uh, what draws me to the to the world of uh, spooky stories and crime novels, I think it's the excitement, uh, the characters, the mystery, of course. And having read crime fiction and suspense novels ever since I was a child myself. Uh, I think it was just really natural for me to to write in this this genre. Right, right. Yeah, it's actually quite comforting to hear that uh, you can also be moody and, and angry. Oh and, yeah, <laughs> and that writers do do have these uh, times. Uh, for some listeners, uh, perhaps discussing atmospheres with a crime author might strike as a little odd because one would say that of course all the crime novels are atmospheric and it only comes natural with uh, you know solving mysteries and secrets of the past but does it uh, i mean crime writing after all has become one of the most if not the most uh, competitive literary literary fields Um, as Porter Anderson, the chief editor from the Publishing Perspectives magazine, uh, recently put it, that it's amazing that everybody in the North hasn't yet 
been either murdered or made a police <laughs> detective. And if anyone can still come up with a unique thriller plotline, you know, our hats are immediately off to them. So is it possible that the readers have become a little numb amidst this mass of fictional murders? Are writers st- still able to give, you know, chills to them? And how? Um, well, I think so, yes. I mean, of course, it's true. All the fictionals, fictional murders, they have already been committed a couple of times. I mean, for example, how many times haven't we found this beautiful, young, naked woman washed ashore on on deserted beach or something? Uh, it happens now and then. Uh, but of course, to me, it's all about the, the craft, the craftsmanship of writing crime fiction. Uh, is the puzzle interesting enough? Is the solution too far-fetched? Or was it too obvious to start with? Uh, the ideal, of course, is when the reader thinks uh, something like, oh, I mean, the answer was there all the time. Why didn't I see it? And they think the solution is really, really, really clever. But in order to get there, you really have to know your craft as a crime writer. And uh, I agree what, <laughs> with this thing that Porter Anderson said uh, I have personally given up trying to come up with like totally unique crimes that no one has ever thought of before. Uh, because it's true, um, everything has already been written by somebody else, but not in my style and not with my characters and not with uh, my type of craftsmanship. So I think we certainly can continue to give readers chills. Then on the other hand, is this a Nordic problem? I would be more concerned about Great Britain. How is every, anybody alive there still, especially in, in the, the small town of Midsummer? Yeah. I mean, has everybody been murdered? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we actually have talked about this exactly same thing. My mom is a huge fan of, of Midsummer murders, so we have talked that. Yes. There, every episode, there are at least three, four murder, murders in the county, so how there are any people alive yeah. left? <laughs> It's a really dangerous place. Don't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Do you have a favorite writer who would be particularly good at creating a haunting atmosphere? Uh, Crime fiction or or children's fiction? Well, any, any really. Any of them. Uh, Well, actually, I have recently mostly been reading my own favorite books from childhood. So I read uh, The Secret Garden. It was one of my huge favorites as I was a child. And it has certainly influenced my own writing also. Because I am currently working on a project that maybe is a bit similar. It's a a children's book. uh, And I wanted to rediscover what it was that really fascinated me as I read the book as a child. And I have to say that Frances Hodgson Burnett, she didn't write that many books. I think she wrote three or four, right. all three that became famous. And she's really, really good at creating this right. sensible atmosphere. And I think it's the most clear in The Secret Garden. I think I have a thing for these like English moors and then old creepy houses in the middle of them, like Wuthering Heights or Jane Eyre and yeah. the Secret Garden. I'm not sure yeah. why I am drawn to that theme, but, but I am. Uh, and I think she was really, really good at it. I'm, I think she even should be more recognized for mm. being able to create such uh, amazing atmospheres. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, then that's now that you say that you're a huge fan of her, like it's very, um, well, it's very obvious why your own crime books are so atmospheric. And I think uh, Samurai, that was your debut novel, uh, uh, published in 2016. I think it's uh, a great example of, of atmospheric crime. And for some reason, it brings to my mind a famous famous Finnish author, Aki Olikainen, who has an incredible skill to create that sort of atmosphere within a couple of hundred pages that, you know, just goes under your skin and never leaves you, like in his um, probably yeah. most famous novel to date, White Hunger. Uh, so that's, that's the same applies to, to your uh, debut novel, even though there is like the summer, idyllic summer isle, but sort of the atmosphere that is going on there, it's really kind of creeping in. Um, and the mood in your later book series, focusing on the police detective Anna Glad, was uh, slightly lightened up with characters and especially with the main protagonist, who is, let's say, not a typical detective type. Um, uh, you yourself told me in one interview that building characters is your favorite part of the writing process. And it has always astonished me, I mean, the ways that writers create characters uh, you have to imagine basically the entire person with all their quirks all their habits with all like how they look what they do um, how they walk and yet only a small part of that ends up in a book so who is Anna Glad and why did you have her in particular to solve the crimes uh, what does this character what does her character add to to the novels and to their mood yeah, uh, I really, as you said, I really enjoy creating characters for my novels, and I actually have a, a, a trick. <laughs> uh, I, I, there's a large newspaper in the, or a Finnish, a Swedish-speaking Finns, Hubustadsbladet. They always do this thing when they interview somebody who has a birthday or something. That they have like this little, um, they ask them some some facts about their personality, like mm -hmm. oh. Uh, favorite book, favorite drink, and uh, favorite song, and so on. It's a bit like cozy and chatty. Uh, and I started writing these little fact notes about all my characters. Because even if it doesn't end up in the book, it really helps me to know that this uh, old man living alone on a hill, what is his famous uh, favorite song? And right. when I came up with that, it sort of opened him for me, and it was easier to write about him. So that's a, that's a tip for people right. who find it difficult to create characters. That works for me, at least. But I'm glad I knew from the start that I, I really wanted to write about a woman, and uh, she turned up as a female police officer. But uh, I also knew that she won't be a cool cop. Right. <laughs> uh, she's not a genius in any way. Uh, she's not... Uh, uh, like very original or anything she's quite plain quite ordinary and she's not that uh, you know female police officers we have seen them in crime fictions and tv series for a long time but a lot of the time they have been these very beautiful uh, <laughs> female colleagues of the male main characters and they see her as a love interest because she never wears a bra mm. underneath her sweater. Mm. Uh, and that has been the typical female police officer in, in Nordic crime. <laughs> right. But, uh, I mean, I'm glad she's just very ordinary. She's good-hearted. She's sometimes clever, but she's sometimes really, really slow. And then I can relate to her. And um, I just realized 
that as a crime writer, I have uh, I've had uh, the pleasure of being invited to a lot of uh, crime festivals and uh, crime fiction festivals right. and uh, these uh, crime literature evenings at libraries and, and so on. I really like attending those. But who turns up? Well, it's women. Women aged 50 and up, and they are really eager crime readers, and thus they are crime fiction experts. I'm sure they wouldn't say it themselves, but they are. They have read everything. They know everything. They really know what is good, what is bad, and I think it's important to listen to them. And several of these women, they have actually told me that they really appreciate First and foremost, that my books aren't so bloody. They can be quite scary and quite horrible. Terrible things happen, but it's not like blood and intestines flying around. Right. And sadism and, and really hurting children or something like that. They are quite safe. They are quite cozy most of the time. But they also really like that the main protagonist is a plain woman. She has a love life. She has to figure out things in her private life. She always has a bad conscience about something, the way most women do. And it seems that Anna Glad simply works. And I'm so happy. It makes me very proud of her. Uh, She's a character. I enjoy writing her. It's like hanging out with her. And she doesn't like... um, she doesn't scare anyone. (laughs) And she's she's nice and sometimes a bit irritating. Exactly. She seems to work. Exactly. It's, uh, I mean, you just described it so well. And, and I think you just described exactly the reason for her popularity, that he, she's just so relatable. And I really love your, your phrase, hanging out with her. It really feels when you read Anna yeah. Glad books. It's like you're <laughs> hanging out with, with Anna Glad, who is just, you know, she could be any of your friends, uh, no matter where yeah. in the world. Yeah. It's and cool. I mean, that's, I think the, that works well for the, the atmosphere as well. Because the setting in my crime novels is a quite, it's almost similar to Midsummer, actually. Right. It's a quite safe and idyllic a small town by the coast in, uh, in Finland. Uh, and you get to hang out with Anna and Rolf and uh, these police officers who are all quite, quite nice, pleasant uh, personalities. But then, of course, when these horrible things happen, uh, they create a contrast. And I think that's very important for the atmosphere. That something terrible can happen in this beautiful, calm setting. Yeah. I think that's the, the secret of, of many uh, crime novels. But uh, I think that's certainly something I, I like to work with. Yeah, yeah, the sort of ominous uh, kind of feeling that something is about to yeah. happen. Yeah, that's very true. You also tried your hand and actually turned out to be really successful in it, in another atmospheric genre that is spooky suspense mm. novels for uh, the middle grade readers. Uh, for those who don't know, middle grade is usually considered to be um, between ages of around 7 and 13. Um, when I was a kid, we didn't really have scary books for young readers. If you wanted a ghost story or a spooky story, you had to sneak into a section for older readers at the library. And those books were really scary. I mean, like, you know, Stephen King. Um, I think this is also partly why Harry Potter books became so popular worldwide. It had ghosts and these creepy, foggy castles and magic and mysteries, primarily for children. And this is exactly why I just love your your novels, Ra- Raspberry Hill and, and the newest one, The Queen of the Night, 
so much. I think they're just so cool, and they just have that sort of gothic, myster- mysterious atmosphere. That and it's really, really exciting. I think for both kids and adults. Why do you think it is important to write such stories for children? I think. Well, I'm not sure. I just know that when I was a child, I loved reading creepy books. Uh, that was definitely what I chose whenever I could find something. But as you say, it wasn't that easy. Uh, I didn't want to go for Stephen King, but right. I think already, like Enid Blyton or something, slightly older works, just fine for me. Uh, but uh, um, I think uh, children in Finland are mostly very safe, which is a wonderful thing. But I think many children really like to experiment with fear and phobias. And a book is a very good format for doing that. Because mm. if you, for example, watch a, a TV program, which is like a horror program, yeah. you really can't uh, control it. When the, I mean, when the suspense, when the monster jumps out, it jumps out or the mummy wakes or whatever. Right. It just happens. And, and yeah, you can push the pause button, but usually you don't uh, have the time. Right. But when you read a book, uh, you can use your own imagination. You can take breaks. You can think, uh, is this book too scary for me? I don't want to read this. Should I put it away? Or you should, or you can think, I will just read a few lines more and not think about this. Children seem to really like doing this. And yeah. I have actually talked to, since the writing Raspberry Hill, I have talked to several teachers to say that when they ask the kids, "Well, what do you want? To, what type of book do you want me to to read for you?" Aloud in class, they always say horror, something terrible, <laughs> something awful. And I think it's a very healthy sign. I mean, the children, the kids, they're fine because if they actually were unsafe, they wouldn't want to read horror stories. That's <laughs> very true. But they are safe. Yeah. They are safe and therefore they're fascinated by these really scary things. Yeah. So I think it's important to write them uh, and also that it is written for this certain age group because I don't think they should be reading Stephen King because that's too heavy. They will have to wait for a couple of years and then they will love it. Exactly. But I think it's important to write for these typical age groups. That's so true. That's so true to have this sort of safe environment to explore these kind of things. And I, I completely agree. And that's why I love that finally there is this sort of uh, genre uh, being born and growing, expanding of, of these horror stories mm-hmm. for, for children. But if kids love spooky stories so much, why do you think it's still quite hard or many publishers are still a bit careful uh, about publishing them. Did you personally have to convince your publisher that (laughs) this is going to be fine? Yeah. I mean, we had a, we had a discussion about Raspberry Hill uh, because it is, it is quite heavy, especially towards the the ending. I mean, really scary. Like a spoiler here, but it is essentially about, mad doctors trying to steal body parts from the children. Right. <laughs> so, so it's not your typical theme for a children's novel. Uh, but, uh, uh, and that they, they, they asked me, do I think that I maybe should tone it down a bit? Uh, and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll have a go. And I went back to the manuscript and I really tried seeing different ways of finishing 
a book. But then I realized that I, I couldn't, I didn't want to. It would have become a totally different story. And I, I didn't want that. I, I was very, very happy with Raspberry Hill and right. the way it turned out. So, so I said, I would like to stick with the story, please. And they said, okay, yeah, let's, let's go for it. But, but I'm sure we were all a bit <laughs> anxious when, when the book actually was published because um, it's very dark. Mm. And it has a very creepy cover. Mm. It's a gorgeous cover, but, it, but it's I very think clear. So too, yeah. It's not like a yeah, yeah. It's very clear for everyone that this is not a, for for any child. Mm. Uh, and I I half expected that people would say to me that oh my god, you have like traumatized my kids. They're having nightmares. What were you thinking? <laughs> but then um, things started to happen, and they're still happening, and it's. It's actually amazing. Kids really love Raspberry Hill. Mm. They're so excited. And I do a lot of like these uh, school uh, meetings with, with uh, children and library meetings. Uh, most of them are, are on distance calls nowadays, but I do them anyway. So I have met a lot of children and talked about Raspberry Hill. And they are so excited. They know it almost by heart. Uh, they have really tricky questions about life and death and uh, tuberculosis and medical history and, and ghosts. And, and I try to answer them the best I can. But right. it's, also, it's, it's a couple of years since I wrote the book. So I don't remember everything as well as they do. Yeah. <laughs> what does this mean? And I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> Let me think. <laughs> but uh, it's really funny the way it works. And... Uh, I mean, in one school that I visited, uh, students, they had created an entire, an entire Raspberry Hill exhibition. It was wow. stunning, like with all the characters, the small dolls and, and the entire hospital and everything. And then when I actually won the Hunebari Junior uh, Prize, yeah. which, which is voted for by children, yeah. kids in the jury, I think that's a, an amazing thing. And I just remember this one thing that after I had gotten the prize, this uh, small boy uh, came up to me and he was really, really shy. Uh, but he was dressed up. He, he had this beautiful dark suit on. like He was going to a party or something. And then his mother uh, came up to me and, and told me they wanted to take a, a photograph uh, with this boy. And she said that, yeah, he wanted to dress up for this award ceremony today because he's, he was rooting so strongly for Raspberry Hill oh that he wanted to look good and handsome in case it won. Uh, he was like prefer, prepared for, for a party if it won because it was such an important book for him. And I mean, situations like that. Yeah, you, this is like the best award it, ever any writer it, can get. It blew my mind. I mean, it was so wonderful. And, and we took the picture, of course, and everything. And I just... I, I will remember it forever. But it's quite clear for me now that kids really love horror and suspense and, and books with a, a great atmosphere. I mean, it shouldn't come as a surprise for me because I did yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I was small. So I have just uh, really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoy uh, the settings that I create. Like for Asbury Hill, it was this hospital in the middle of the woods. And in uh, The Queen of the Night, it's, uh, it's an, opera, an opera building. Yeah, uh, a theater building, uh, and I have always loved theater buildings—the smell and everything, and red velvet. <laughs> right. So I really enjoyed diving into that for for that book, uh, mm. and uh, 
apparently the, the kids like to follow me there. That's great. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and I think it starts picking up as what also uh, abroad, not only, I mean, uh, the book now will be published in Great Britain, which is uh, very exciting news. So so I just yeah. really hope that they will really travel ev everywhere um, uh, along. So, yeah, just um, and, and give more, uh, you know, get more and more uh, reception like that uh, little boy. Wow, that's just uh, amazing, amazing story. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh something in it it's something special I, I hope it works for the yeah the other children's books that i have written as well but <laughs> but i mean something yeah turned out really good in that one i'm very right. proud of it right you are a swedish speaker yourself and for listeners who might not be aware of this uh, swedish is another official language in finland so can you explain to me who is not native uh native finnish and not native uh swedish finnish um How do you personally perceive the status of the Swedish-speaking writers in Finland? On the one hand, there are you know these uh, incredible international successes, best-selling authors as Tove Jansson and Ola Lena Lundberg and Sjelvesto and Monica Fagerholm. Mm. But then, on the other hand, at least my understanding is that if your first language is Swedish, your books don't necessarily always reach Finnish audiences that easily. So is that actually a case? Uh, and how, how, just how do you see it yourself? Well, I think the Swedish Finnish writers are, are doing great, actually. As you say, not that many of us have reached the status of Tulianson or Chilmester. Uh, but I think, for example, the poetry field is incredibly strong. And the children's literature, I mean, it's amazing. I think we have illustrators and kids writers that are, are world class. Right. I think, and actually have been successful abroad and for the Finnish audience as well. Um, but then again, um, I shouldn't say this, but I think <laughs> there is a bit of snobbism still existing in the field for the Swedish-speaking Finnish writers. Right. And that means that the more commercial genres like crime or romance and feel good, they are not that strong. But there are things happening uh, all the time uh, authors are trying to to find their voices and some some of them find uh, like a, a voice that, that wants to write chiclet right. <laughs> or something like that and I think that slowly the attitude is changing it would be very silly if this Finnish Swedish niche would like choke the voices of young or new authors trying to To create their own tone and their own way of writing. That's, I mean, I think it's, it just becomes so much better and generous if um, the niche would be big enough for all genres. Also, for example, crime, which I write. Right. Uh, but I think it's slowly changing. And of course, uh, I, I'm doing well for Finnish readers as well. Uh, all my books have been translated into Finnish. Uh, Summer yeah. Isle will actually, well, it, it took a couple of years, but it will <laughs> yeah. be published this summer, which is really fun. Oh, that's uh, nice. And uh, the Finnish uh, readers, they have always been extremely positive towards me. Yeah. And uh, they don't mind that. They, they Usually they don't notice. Sometimes they don't notice that I have written the book in, in Swedish. Swedish. They think that I write in, in Finnish. Uh, and then sometimes they think that I'm a Swede. <laughs> right. And they get very 
surprised when they're halfway through the book and I put to, I mention like the name of a city, like Tampere, and I was like, oh my God, this is in Finland. <laughs> I didn't notice. But they think that I am one of the, the Swedish crime queens, uh, right. <laughs> which is uh, uh, good to see back that as well. But I think one amazing thing that happens sometimes is that Finnish readers, they come up to me and say that I actually read your book in Swedish, although I haven't talked or read Swedish since back in school, because every Finnish person uh, studies Swedish yeah. uh, at school when they're kids, but most of them <laughs> just forget it afterwards. Yeah, they forget it. But sometimes they have tried to like shape up and read my books in Swedish yeah. uh, to rehearse and because they want to, to read the original version. I think that's, that's really lovely to hear. Yeah. And I think it's really nice uh, that people have such different uh, opinions of like when you say that some think that you're you know from Sweden originally something that you're Finnish that it just I think it's a sign of how universal you actually are and that you can be from really anywhere and that it's not really sort of bounded to uh, or yeah bound to the certain language or certain um, demographics <laughs> yeah well it, sh- it shouldn't be and I think uh, I mean for some foreign reader maybe Anna Glad's universe would be perceived as Exotic, yeah. <laughs> Even though it isn't for me, yeah, <laughs> right. At the beginning of the episode, I mentioned uh, this Danish concept of hygge, uh, and in Finland we have kalsarikannit, which uh, translates uh, as drinking at home alone in one's underwear. And we actually also have a book about that by Miska Rantanen, and it was translated into English as pants drunk. And just like Denmark, Finland has also been reported the happiest country in the world for several years in a row. Uh, So what do you think uh, this concept of panstrung says about the general mindset of the Finnish people? Mm, Good question. Well, I think Kalsarikannit is probably the secret to why Finns are still the world's happiest people (laughs) in the middle of lockdown and pandemic. Right. (laughs) I mean, for many of us, it's business as usual. We don't get out much anyway. <laughs> and right now, of course, I, I long for parties and having a social life. But I'm sure that in a couple of years, when everything is back to something sort of normal, I will again be the person who stands by my own front door, all dressed up, and suddenly think that, uh, I don't <laughs> have to what? Yeah, actually. why bother? Yeah, I could stay at home and watch TV and have a glass of wine by myself. I, I could do that. Maybe I should. Right. <laughs> so yes, it's it. I recognize the Kalsarikandi phenomenon uh, very well, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a very Finnish thing, and for certain, maybe not as strong amidst the Swedish speaking Finns, but for me, certainly. Right. Yeah, and you're yourself uh, a fan of cocktails and cocktail mixing, mixing aren't you? Yes, I, I am. I, <laughs> it, it started out as a, as a hobby. I, 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 I uh, make a cocktail every Saturday night and it started out because I knew very little about cocktails. Right. I knew how to mix uh, gin tonic. <laughs> that's, that's not very difficult. Yeah. But I started to be like fascinated by by knowing all the classic cocktail the recipes uh, by heart, and, and it started out that way. And now it's more like if I if I don't 
make a drink on Saturday night and post it on Instagram, people start to, to write to me that, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Where's the cocktail? So now people sort of expect to... I get a lot of likes and everybody's happy that all is well in the world. Everybody's making a cocktail. <laughs> right. What is your favorite cocktail to date? Uh, well, it's actually Moscow Mule, which okay. I discovered during this way. I, I have a thing for ginger and lime and mint. And yeah, <laughs> right. that became my favorite right away. <laughs> Uh, old-fashioned for me so next time we're yeah. having cocktails <laughs> i hope i expect to see some old-fashioned <laughs> yeah I'm, i make a really nice old-fashioned i will right. make you one <laughs> looking forward to it um what in your opinion would be a very finnish atmosphere um uh finnish okay i'm gonna say summer evening and late July and you are sitting by by a lake or by the sea it doesn't matter but there has to be water nearby and uh, the sky is pink and therefore the, the water is pink as well and you hear almost nothing you maybe hear a bird cuckooing somewhere <sighs> in the distance and it, it has been a warm day and now it's a bit chillier and lovely yes that's nice it's coming along And then you open a, a really, really cold beer. That's the first amazing zip. That's the Finnish atmosphere for you. <laughs> and that, that does sound very, very Finnish and very idyllic. Who is your current literary crush, Eva? Oh, I have to think about this. And I, I think I will have to say that it's uh, Oliver in Call Me By Your Name. Okay. Uh, because... Elliot's crush in Oliver it was so incredibly well described and written that I started sharing it. And I have to say that this is Oliver in the book, Call Me By Your Name, because now the actor who played Oliver in the movie is after also creepy and criminal. So it's not him, it's the book Oliver. Right, right. Good literary crush. <laughs> <laughs> Which author you're following on social media and why? I follow several, but I think I could mention Chimamanda and Gorsi Adichia. Because, of course, she's the world's wisest and coolest person. And she also has these amazing outfits on. <laughs> she posts, posts them as Instagram. And they're very, very, yes, I, I, I admire her in every way. Right. What is the best sentence that you last read in a book? I couldn't come up with a particular sentence, but I recently read uh, Patrick Svensson's uh, book, The, The Gospel of Eels, right. uh, All Evangelia. Yeah. And I have to say that it's a, it's a special book because on almost every page, there is at least one sentence that made me stop and think, really? Who would have known? Wow. So it's an incredibly well-written book about something I didn't have a clue that I was interested in. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's a book that's full of very very good sentences that makes you really think and wonder and get interested. Yeah, what? Yeah, it it is an extraordinary book and and what a extraordinary way to finish our interview. Thank you, Eva Franz. Uh, this was literature from Finland, brought to you by Helsinki Literary Agency and hosted by me, Urte. And special thanks to Petri Latvala for the design and Alessandro Dana for the music, and to colleagues Urpo, Vivi, and Kai. Tune in next month.